Welcome to episode number 18 with Senior Advisor of Philly Pride Presents, Chuck Voles. Welcome to the We Love Philly podcast. My name is Carlos Aponte, a Philadelphia school teacher whose mission is to promote volunteerism throughout the city of Philadelphia and help put the brotherly love back into the city of brotherly love. Each week, my students and I bring you a person or organization that is making Philly a better place. Thanks for spending some time with us, and let's dive in. The first openly gay athlete in United States pro sports, Jason Collins, once said, Openness may not completely disarm prejudice, but it's a good place to start. And former president of the United States, Barack Obama, once said, When all Americans are treated as equal, no matter who they are or whom they love, we are all more free. Welcome to the We Love Philly podcast. We are joined today with Chuck Voles. Chuck has been part of the LGBTQ plus community since the 1970s in Philadelphia. He's a former lawyer, now retired. Three things we talked about in this episode are how volunteers are crucial for the implementation of the Pride Parade every year. We talk about Philadelphia's legacy as a trailblazer in the LGBTQ plus community. Chuck also shares his stories about what it was like growing up as a gay man in Philadelphia over the past 40 years. And we talk about if the next generation is equipped to lead the movement forward. If you want to learn more about Philly Pride Presents, you can visit their website, phillygaypride.org. If you would like to volunteer for them, you can email them at phillygaypride at aol.com. If you want to stay up to date with what we are doing at We Love Philly, you can visit our website, www.welovephilly.org. On the website, you can catch all of our podcasts, our blogs. You can catch all of our volunteer videos that we make for the organizations. If you would like for us to volunteer for your organization and sit down for a podcast interview and make a video for you, you can reach us at welovelpacademy at gmail.com. Really excited for this episode because I know a lot of you went to the Pride Parade and enjoyed it just as much as we did. So here is our episode. Welcome, everybody, to the We Love Philly podcast. I'm joined today with Senior Advisor for Philly Pride Presents, Chuck Voles. How are you, Chuck? I'm doing good. We're also joined by one of my students, Kiana Whaley. How are you, Kiana? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming. This is Kiana's first interview with us. So super excited for her to apply what she's been learning in class. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So recently, my students and I volunteered for Philly Pride Presents for the Pride Festival on June 9th, 2019. We were actually at Penn's Landing, and it was an amazing event, Chuck. Thank you so much. We met so many people. Uh, My one student, Kay, she identifies as trans, and she said she felt more welcome there volunteering than any other volunteer event we did. So I really appreciate you for that. Good. It's nice to hear because we never know. You know, we're all busy doing our thing. So we we never know how we're coming across with the volunteers. We, We know we make them work, but we hope they have a good time. So it's nice to get that positive feedback because... We all get crazy that day. Yeah. You know, like I always say, it's a party for 25,000 gay people. What could go wrong? Yeah. You know, so we're all busy and it's it's burdensome on us. So I'm glad that 
you know, it, you know, the, the kids you brought had a good time. Yeah. That's important. So how crucial are volunteers or something like this? Like you said, I feel like a lot of people don't see the background work that goes into an event where you said 20,000 plus people show up. So how crucial are volunteers for this to run? Well, we have a one paid employee, our executive director. The rest of us are volunteers. And the whole organization. Yes. Oh now, my God. Somebody like me, you know, if you volunteer, then after 25 years, you become senior advisor because you, you're the senior volunteer. But we've, we've had some volunteers stay with us for like 18 to 20 years. So, you know, it, it varies every year how many volunteers you need. You know, I get a certain bunch down the festival. Fran Price uses a certain bunch at the parade. But we don't run without volunteers. It, yeah. it's, it's our lifeblood. How, how could we do this? And every year it gets bigger. So every year it's more important to have more volunteers. Wow. That's amazing. One paid person. What would you say? Thousands of volunteers or hundreds of volunteers on an actual day? Probably hundreds of volunteers. That's amazing. I don't see a lot of it. It's like the tip of the iceberg for me down there. And for somebody who's been doing it for 25 years, I think like we were talking before, I do the festival. I don't even get to see the parade. So that's, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're all engaged at doing what it is we do. It's a logistical nightmare. <laughs> Thousands of things go wrong that you've got to address on the day. And, and sometimes people get frustrated with you, but they don't know about all the little detail things that, that break down that you've got to address. Yeah. So that's generally my job, being a boss down there, yeah. making people do the right thing. Nice. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> that's fun. I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't fun. It was cool while we were there and we got the volunteer t-shirts because we noticed, well, my students asked, what is this? And they saw the 50th up in the left-hand corner of the shirt and it was Stonewall. So I got to explain to them what the stone, the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots are. Do you mind going in a little bit? No, and, that, and that was my design, by the way. Oh, so it was? I'm oh, glad beautiful. they like it. It's nice. Well, yeah, Stonewall riots. I think younger people don't understand what the problems were for gay people. Um, gay people weren't allowed to dance together. They had to had dress codes in New York. Women had to wear three articles of female clothing. And they would routinely raid the bars in New York. Stonewall, Stonewall Inn was run by the mafia. Uh, it was one of like two or three gay bars. Uh, routinely gets raided, routinely gets shut down. If they arrested you, if you didn't have three articles of feminine clothing, let's say, except for what happened in June of 1969 when a riot ensued and gay people and, you know, and you're talking trans people, you're talking about people of color uh, who who fought back. Yeah. And it, it gradually turned into four days of rioting. The police were so overwhelmed that they locked themselves in the Stonewall Inn to protect themselves. And they had to bring in like the SWAT teams and everything. That day sort of changed everything. Then the following year was really the first gay pride parade in commemoration of the Stonewall riots. So that's how like New York Pride got started. Okay. So by 1972, several cities, including Philadelphia, were doing it as well. Then as in all things, you know, there was a, kind of a break in Philadelphia, but we came back later. So we've just done our, uh, that was our 31st 
Pride Parade and Festival yeah. that just happened in this June. But uh, Stonewall did it. Stonewall was the start of uh, the gay pride uh, revolutions. Yeah. So it was cool being on your website and you had a segment on your website that was notable first. And I had no idea that Philly Pride Presents had their hand in so many firsts for the community in Philadelphia. So I looked and I saw that you actually were instrumental in getting the Gaberhood named the Gaberhood. I had no yeah, idea. we were. Yeah, a newspaper article said it. It was a wonderful day in the Gaberhood. Yeah, and now that name is used everywhere. Every what used to be the gay ghettos everywhere is now the Gaberhood. Yeah, yeah, and that that came from our event. Yeah, and we also did stuff that first anonymous HIV testing. Yeah, Philly was the first one to do that. Now all prides sort of do that yeah um we were all we were the first event who had like um youth pride marshals and we honored them in june you know we also give an award to the youth in october now every pride group sort of does that so um yeah we were trailblazers in a lot of in, in a lot of areas like that but you know imitation is the sincerest form of flattery so it's nice that every group does it but uh, no we were out there you know, we did a lot of things for the first time. And look, and a lot of things you do are not successful, and a lot of things you do turn out to be successful. That's just the way life is. Yeah. So I teach history. I constantly bring up the LGBTQ plus community as a beacon of what happens when a community gets together, what can get done, even though you've constantly been told no. So that struggle, even for marriage, has been a struggle for decades and decades. And it was never given up on and it was constantly fought against. And it was it's living proof in the United States that when you have a community of people fighting towards a common goal, that it can get done. And it's I love bringing that up. I parallel it a lot with social movements that go on in the United States. I was just talking about how active the LGBT community is because we've got the largest event at Penn's Landing. Yeah. And even though like the Irish community is 40 times our size and the Italian community is nobody is there for the Irish festival, the Italian festival. Uh, There's a Caribbean festival. All those communities greatly exceed our numbers. Yeah. Um, But we're, you know, we're open and out proud on those kinds of days. In October, when we do Alfest, we stay in the neighborhood. But the whole purpose of doing a pride parade is to be out there, you know, in in straight community. Yeah. But no, it's it always amazes me that our numbers come out as strong as they do when other communities sort of just don't bother. Yeah. So what's the difference between the Pride Parade and the Out Festival? Well, Out Fest is really it's not a Pride event per se. It's a National Coming Out Day event. Philadelphia was the first Pride group to do a National Coming Out Day event. And we're now the biggest national coming out day event in the world, oh, wow. Philadelphia, um, because we'll get like uh, 50, 60,000 people there. But there's no charges and everybody in the community, every business does something. So that's a national coming out day event. It sort of looks the same with sort of a lot of the same vendors and community groups. Of course, there's no parade, but we, we do both. And I, I think Alphys is really our claim to fame because... Uh, not only we were the first, now we're the biggest. So I'm just imagining you trying to, because like you said, it's all volunteers. So I'm trying to think how all of this is funded. So I'm picturing you, Pride Day, roaming the streets of Philadelphia. I, I, how do you raise money for this? 
Well, listen, the, the group I joined when I joined back in, I'm going to say 1995, uh, we were $37,000 in debt. They used to pass buckets up and down in front of the stage at the festival <laughs> for a buck or two. And we had to make the hard, we had to make a hard choice about fencing it in and charging admission. So that helps us generate money. So then if, if you want to vend at the festival, you have to pay. You have to pay a small amount to be in the, the parade. But it, it's all those, it's vending fees from vendors. And it's admission fee, which started out at $2. Now it's up to 15 But you do get five or six hours of entertainment. You do yeah. get 150 vendors. So um, it's it's a colorful, fun event. So I don't think people mind paying 15 So. Yeah. Or they could volunteer and get it for free. For free. <laughs> so, and and we've we've held the line at fifteen dollars because yeah. we don't want to disenfranchise anybody. The people who sell wristbands can't make judgment calls. I can, a senior advisor. So every once in a while, when I see like younger people trying to put together, you know, and they come up with seven bucks, I'll take it and give them a wristband. So we do hold the line there, and it's been fifteen dollars now for a while, and that that funds the event that day. It pays for Penn's Landing. It pays for all the entertainment. And we usually have ten, fifteen thousand dollars left over, and that goes to fund Outfest. Okay. So that's our cash cow. But it really, you know. When's that? That's October when? Whatever the Sunday is before Columbus Day. I okay. Know, I don't know what it is this year. Yeah. It, it all blurs in my mind. Yeah. Talking to you before the show, you told me that you've been a bar owner. You've been a lawyer in Philadelphia. You've seemed like you've done a lot for the city. Can you pinpoint the exact moment you knew what you were doing with Philly Pride Presents you were meant to be doing? Yes, you know what I do? Because I can remember my first Pride event that I went to, and it was National Coming Out Day block party. And my son was so little, he wasn't walking. He was in a stroller. <laughs> my daughter was four. And being a single dad with two kids... That made me decide to come out. People always want to know, why do you do it? Because, you know, your private life is your private life. But they made that hard decision because I didn't want my kids thinking anything was wrong with their dad. So it was important for me to get visible and active. And now my kids, my daughter's 30. She's expecting her second child, my second grandchild. My son's in the army. And you know what? To them, it was like, eh, dad's gay. And it was like not a big deal. Yeah. And I didn't want it to be like the birdcage. I didn't want my daughter to bring home a future husband or my son to bring home a future wife and say, oh, dad's gay. I just want to warn you. Um, nobody seems to matter because it was always, it, it was, it's just a matter of fact. Yeah. I know when I went, I had to get active. I had to do something. And I wanted to do something sort of non-political. Because I think my my basic core politics is not necessarily the core politics for the gay community. So I wanted to do something that didn't involve politics or you know a, a, you know a certain goal oriented thing. Yeah. Um, and pride seems to be it, it fit perfectly. I was sort of recruited. I had two friends of mine who would come up from Fort Lauderdale to in June to sort of try to get the pride thing together. And uh, they wanted me to get involved, and I did. <laughs> so nice. I've been there ever since. I'm still volunteering after 25 years. So what is it about Philly that has made Philly such a good place to have all of these firsts 
in the community? I think places like New York, San Francisco, Chicago are so big and are overwhelming. So thousands of people participate, but there's no showmanship. There's minimal floats, I would imagine. Uh, minimal entertainment. You know, Fran Price will often say, we've got mom or blood. Yeah. And everybody likes to perform. Fran used to participate from Spruce Tree Video, which she owns. And it was her group that would always entertain. And I think the original Pride group kept saying, you're holding up the parade. And that's kind of funny now because now everybody does the same thing. Yeah. And they, they all fight. We give out like probably 20 awards and everybody wants to participate. They're very secretive. They won't let anybody else know what they're doing. So I think that's what does it for us. And Fran would say to me, what do you think if we do this? Our National Coming Out Day block party used to be on Pine Street in front of Giovanni's, which is the, the oldest gay bookstore in the United States. And she said to me, what do you think if, what do you think if we move this up to Locust Street? So I would say, oh, yeah, sure, why not? And we grew from 1,500 to 10,000 in that first event. Wow. So nobody ever taught us what to do. We just started to do it ourselves. So I think we could be creative. Yeah. Because we were starting off with nothing. We were $37,000 in debt. Now, obviously, we've retired that. We made enough money. We could actually hire an executive director. Yeah. Because you can't reinvent the wheel twice a year. It's it's impossible when, when our events get to be as big as they are. Yeah. So um, I sort of think all pride groups have that like a growing curve. They'll get two or three people really involved, really interested, and things will go along for maybe two or three years. And then somebody will move away, somebody will get a job, and it breaks down and it's got to recreate itself. We were lucky. We were lucky that both of us had been there for as long as we have. So we've sort of been a steady influence. So what's going to happen when we retire? And I don't know. I was just going to ask that. How do you feel about passing the baton to the next generation? Do you think they're equipped? That's a hard question to answer. I mean, we've got a core of coordinators, about 15 of them. But I'm going to tell you at least 85% of them will retire when Brandy and I retire. Oh, wow. Because we're like a big family. Yeah. So it's not... Imagine. I don't know if anybody's equipped to take it over. There's a few other things happening. Uh, Great Plaza, I think, may not be there in a year or two. So then it's it's going to start from scratch because we've not find you know we haven't found another place that we could do what we do yeah. other than the Great Plaza at Penn's Landing. So I'm not sure. I, I I know Alfest will continue because all the local bars and businesses have a vested interest in it. I think things will change. How they're going to change, I don't know. Yeah. Franny and I often talk about teaching exactly the, the new people coming along. And she's always the first one to remind me nobody taught us, but nobody knew what they were doing exactly. when we got involved. So but I think it's hard. And and I think our events have grown so much that I don't know. I think the learning curve is too steep now. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure I what think you could do it. I'm not sure what might happen. Yeah, I think you can do it. Yeah. I think you put like the the rainbow signal up in the sky. Someone's going to answer it like Batman. <laughs> Maybe, but you know what? And and I'll have to say this: since since gay weddings been, you know, accepted, the internal pressure to get out there and do things and be visible has visibly faded. Oh, so okay. I think I think you That's know I think a lot of the gay community is resting on its laurels, so to speak. Yeah. You don't know what the future has in store. It's like I said, you know, 
I started when my kids were little kids. Now, you know, one of them's a mother of her own. And uh, yeah. nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. I, I think it will change drastically, though, if I'm, yeah. if I'd be willing to guess. Yeah, especially if, yeah, like you said, if Penn's Landing changes, which is definitely changing. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, people talk about marching up like Benjamin Franklin Parkway, but wherever you go, you'd have to sort of fence it off if you yeah. want to have to pay to that. Exactly. Um, you know, because, and, and people want to know why do you charge, but, you know, Penn's Landing charges rent. The, yeah. You know, the porta potties cost. The, exactly. You know, the exactly. entertainment, nobody entertains for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when, when you're done and 85% of whatever you took in goes to pay yeah. bills. I don't think people get that, but no. nobody does anything for free. No. Um, Your nonprofit organization, everything that you're making is going back to making the event what it is. That's exactly right. Yeah. Like, like we said earlier, if you volunteer, you don't have to pay. So we have fun. Look, I do the event. I always get this wonderful tan in June. Yeah. People think I've been, you know, where have you been on vacation? No. It's 15 hours on concrete in yeah. the sun. Gives you a great tan. Yeah. So are there any challenges that you feel like the community still faces in Philadelphia today? There's always challenges, but I think the big challenge is complacency. Okay. I think I think young people don't know what the struggle was. And I think they get tired of hearing older people tell war stories. Yeah. Now, I don't have any of them because I wasn't in New York. My war stories were, you know, coming out here in Philadelphia and having a young family and having you know, a good portion of your friends who all probably know you were gay to begin with, but, <laughs> um, you know, sort of look at you. And because I had a young son, you know, people, you know, people worry about that. And it's, it's kind of bizarre, but that's the way it is. Yeah. But I think complacency is the big problem. Uh, pride groups in general have a problem with corporate funding. You don't want to become a corporate event. You want to keep some of your grassroots but you still need business money. Yeah, so exactly. we're lucky that like American Airlines gay employee group is involved or Comcast gay employee group is involved yeah. or Campbell Soup Company. And then then you have, you know, you, you've got that part of the organization that comes. So, you know, we're lucky we've got some corporate support, but not quite. It's not big corporate. It's not like Walmart sending us money. Yeah, exactly. you know, IBX, Blue Cross. Uh, they have big gay groups. You know, they, they all participate. In. We don't know what the challenge is. I think as LGBT stuff starts to become accepted by everybody, <laughs> the pressure for us to do things like this probably will fade. Yeah. And will become, you know, passe maybe. Yeah. So being a lifelong Philadelphian, when, and Philadelphia is changing so much, as we were talking about earlier. When you walk around the city today, what do you see? What does it make you think? And what does it make you wonder about the future of Philly? I don't know. I think when I originally started, the the neighborhood, so to speak, was noticeable in its you know where it was, what it what its limits were. We don't have them anymore. You know, everybody sort of has a gay night. Everybody sort of does something, and I think that's my biggest thing I've noticed. We get we get people coming to our events from like all over the city. Yeah. So like you know, there's gay couples and gay families all over. And I don't think that was the case 25 years ago, or if it was the case, it was somewhat closeted. Yeah. The HIV crisis sort of, you know, I think they've got that under control. That blew up for a good while there, and that was everybody's focus. Now it seems to be 
disease, a condition they can treat that doesn't lead to death necessarily anymore. So that that's that that pressure's been removed. So I think those things, you know, they come and they go. I think a lot of our our old radicals have become corporate gays. They run different things and own different businesses. Um, so or they've been, you know, they they get involved with politics and they become part of the establishment. I think that's a problem too. We don't have as many gay radicals as we <laughs> Everybody's part of the establishment. So people like me come along and, you know, uh, somebody who's not personally radical at all, pretty conservative kind of guy, but we become the radicals because, you know, I question things. Yeah. You know, I think that's part of the problem. People got to question things still. Yeah, I agree. So if you could go back in time and tell the teenage version of yourself three things, what would you tell teenage you and why? When people come out, pe- pe- people always know if they're gay or bi or something. I think I would have told myself way back then, like, it's okay to be gay. Yeah. Because, you know, for a while you're trying to talk yourself out of that for a long time. I think I probably would have said, tell your parents. I never got an opportunity to tell my mother. And I remember telling my father, even at my age, it was like, Dad, I want to tell you this. And, you know, of course, he claimed he didn't know. But, of course, he had to because that's on the front page of the, the inquiry. I mean, I'm on TV. Everybody knows me. But um, and, I, and I said to him, I don't know what's the hardest thing, not, you know, telling you or not having trusted you enough to have told you this like a long time ago. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things, you know, people who love you love you. Exactly. And it's not a big deal because sometimes you you tell people this deep, dark secret and they look at you like, yeah, like we figured this out a long time ago. So uh, I think that's probably the two things. Don't, don't beat yourself up. It, it, it's nothing you choose. It's just something that is. But yeah, I think sometimes we are own, we're our own harshest critics. Yeah, sometimes. I agree. But that's why when I had my kids, it changed things. It wasn't going to be a deep, dark secret. It's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. I want to know when, like, personally, if that's okay. Sure. Um, was it hard to come out? Listen, I was significantly older. When my son came along, I was 40. I'm going to say no, it wasn't hard. Because, you know, I had two kids. And for all intents and purposes, like, I'm kind of like a routine middle the middle class kind of guy. I was a professional. So being a single parent wasn't that hard because I had enough of a support group. A lot of my previous friends sort of took some kind of offense at it. But since that, they've come back and they will sort of apologize maybe without apologizing. Now, I can't say it was hard. I mean, I did lose some friends. Both my children are adopted. There was sort of a veiled threat that, you know, they were worried about me adopting a little boy. Um, But, you know... It, you know, so that sort of hit me at home. But uh, but other as than that, like everybody else, it was just it came natural to you. Yeah, it it really was, and maybe that's why I was sort of recruited to get involved with the pride group because I guess they saw, you know, I you guess they free. Uh, now, what's because you know it's not it's not that easy for everybody. It is not. And I feel like what's the thing, the um, outfest. Yeah. I feel like that was a good. Yeah, I, wish I would have known about it. Alf, Alfest is good because it's okay. in it's in the heart of the neighborhood. 
so people can come down there and they're reinforced by the environment and everybody else there. There's so, so much support. Yeah, Pride Day's a little different because you got to march down Broad Street in front of Independence Hall, <laughs> and and you know, and you get there, at, you know, at Pence Landing. But you know what? Over the years, I've noticed like all those straight people at Pence Landing, they can't wait for our event. They have a great time. Down South Street, everything. I feel like they'd be waiting yeah. for your event. Which it's is a good event. You know, so yeah, it wasn't hard for me personally because I I think I had. Um, I had a support group, and I, and I always say that being a single dad, I know That's how what hard. Makes stronger. Yeah, but I know how hard single moms have it, when you know they they live from hand to mouth, and they you know they didn't have the benefits I did. Like being a professional, you know, being a lawyer, things are easier for you financially. And how long did you take on it, um, being a lawyer? Well, that's three years post college, so I've got my BA got my master's degree, then he went back to, I went to law school. But, you know, it, it postpones, well, I worked my way through school, but it does postpone you making, you know, like those kind of good wages that you want because you, you go to school for like 22 years. Before. But it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. And, I, you know, I teach a class. I teach a criminology class. Uh, and I always tell my students, you know, it's, I know they're all professionals in the making, but it's worth it. It's worth putting off, yeah. you know, making your money because you will, you know, you'll be a professional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you have the energy when you're younger to put in the work and then you're going to want the more money when you're older because you're not going to have the same level of energy. So it makes sense to do it all in the beginning right away. But then see, as a, as a lawyer, as a lawyer is kind of like a doctor. People treat you differently. They treat you with respect. So I didn't get a lot of grief that I think a lot of people who were not professionals would have gotten. Or get today. Yeah. I, I feel like, like for example, like a gay the driver, I feel like he would get it. So, I mean, it's a good paying job, but it's not as good as being a lawyer or being a doctor and being gay. No, it's even fun now because now you know who the other gay lawyers are. <laughs> or we've, we've got, we've got, you know, we've got a core of gay judges now. Now that's all way different than when I first started practicing law. That's for sure. But yeah. Yeah, we all sort of know each other, and I think a lot of them sort of know me, even though. Yeah, that speaks to the strength of the community. Everyone looks out for one another. But I always say you just can't be a professional gay person. You got to go do things. You yeah, gotta, exactly. You know, if I have to describe who I am. I think first thing I say is I'm a father because I love my kids. I don't know what I would have done without my kids. And I have the second grandchild in the oven right now. So like I'm <laughs> eagerly anticipating <laughs> what that's going to be. I love my grandson. I, unfortunately, now that's a, that's a pleasure that as a gay man I had, but a lot of gay people don't because you don't naturally have your family. Yeah. Now I have my, my two kids. They're great. And uh, I don't think they regard their, you know, they don't regard their father like they got to sprinkle me with holy water. That's and why I, I really think that's is, a good thing. It's like not all kids are gay, but like I feel like if my dad was gay, I wouldn't have accepted. But I'm sorry. And not like no. And contrary, people always ask me about my kids, and I think both my kids are perfectly straight. <laughs> you know, does that bother me now? You know, but that now I imagine it's hard. And in different communities, it's certainly different, too. Yeah. 
Um, and, and a lot of gay people don't want to be gay and they, they try to fit that round peg into the square hole and it doesn't work. You're just unhappy inside. And you could still love your kids and you could still, you know, you can still pretend pretty well, but you're not happy. Right. And, it, and it's important, you know, it's important to be satisfied with who you are because when you're raising your kids, you've got to teach them. It's okay to be who you are. You might not be the most intelligent or the most gifted athletically, but you know, you're one of God's creatures, you're unique. Yeah, it's hard. And, and, and I think sexual orientation does enter into the equation every once in a while. But every once in a while, you're, you're surprised. That's why the, the push is always on there for gay athletes maybe to come out of the closet. Right. Um, so people appreciate that or, or you know, some politicians who were in the closet. You know, so the more we just uh, say, uh, it's like having blonde hair, who cares? So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think when it gets to that stage, it'll be all worthwhile. Yeah. But there's a few lumps between now and then. I know it's not easy, but you're strong. You did. I mean, these are wonderful events. I'm either, str I'm either strong or I'm so hard-headed, I really don't care. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not, do you worry about your parents rejecting you? Yes. But then when you have children, you really different. worry about your children rejecting you. Like I said, the birdcage. Who wants to bring home a future husband or wife to meet a gay father? You know, it's traumatic. But... With everybody my children have dated, it's never been a problem because I guess nobody cares anymore, which is a good thing. Yes, I feel like it's yeah. a good thing that everybody's opening up, being able to come out, feeling welcome enough to come out. Gay people are all different. We all have different belief structures, belief systems, and uh, you know, we're all different. And I think straight society's got to understand that too, that not all... They shouldn't stereotype gay people, but we shouldn't stereotype ourselves either. You know? Right. I want to start by sending some love your way. I appreciate you for what you're what you were able to do in creating a community in a city that in some spaces lack that community feel. You were able to organize people, lead people, and now hopefully educate the next generation to do the same after you're you're really ready to, to leave it behind. So oh, thanks. I really appreciate what you have done and the courage that you've shown and just the, your ability to to help anyone who you probably knew was in need. I really appreciate that. It's, it, you know, we, we provide the forum. Yeah. And we encourage everybody in the community, all the groups, all the people to participate. So, you know, the, the fact that we're able to provide a successful forum and continue to do this for all these groups. Uh, sometimes we're the lifeblood for them all. So it is really worthwhile to, to see that happen. Yeah. So how do people get involved with Philly Pride Presents? Do you have meetings? Do you have a website? Yes, well, yes, it's uh, phillygaypride.org. And, and we meet once a month. Okay. And anybody should just feel free to come. Where Where is it? Uh, it's down in William Way Center, which is 1315 Spruce Street. Okay. It's at the Gay Community Center. Um, and our meetings are open to the public. And which day of the week? It's Monday now. It's Monday. I think I think it will remain Monday, I second Monday of the month. Okay. But we I maintain our webpage and I might not web you know <sighs> I might not keep it up to date all the time. But yeah. I usually have a pretty good um, when our meetings are. So yeah, people should come because it's kind of fun. Yeah. Because whoever you are in the gay community, uh, 
you can find a place with us because we're fine. Yeah. And then maybe our next, you know, next leader is there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so when the old guard retires, uh, yeah. somebody else will be able to take it over. So one last question we ask everyone at the end. What's your definition of love? Boy, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, You know what? I really, I think my definition is loving people just for who they are. You know, with my children, you love your children without any, you know, <laughs> they are who they are and you love them for who they are. And I think that's what love is, just accepting people for who they are. Now, sometimes you might not like everybody for who they are, and that's fine. You don't have to like everybody. But I think you have to love and respect them because, you know, we're all God's creatures and we're all unique. And we all have that spark of the infinite within us. Nice. And I think you've got to, you know, and I think that's what love is. Just saying. Sometimes I feel like I have to put duct tape on my head to keep from exploding <laughs> dealing with some people. But you don't have to like everybody. But I think you do. I think you do have to love them. And I think you've got to, I think you've got to, I think you've got to look at that. You know, look, look where their soul is, you know, how individual they are. So I think that's what love is. Just, just. Yeah, loving them as the individual. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for your time. Oh, thanks. This is Just My Thoughts, where I introduce an educational philosophy related to our volunteer experience. So one of the reasons I started this program revolves around an educational philosophy that I believe impacts teenagers greatly. That philosophy is called association, communication, and environment. These three words impact a teenager's education greatly, in my opinion. Almost all of my students come from an environment of trauma, whether it be at home or in their neighborhoods or in their previous schools. So students begin to change once you introduce them to a new environment. Once I take them out of uh, their blocks or their neighborhoods in Southwest Philly and I introduce them to different parts of Philadelphia, you start to see the cogs in their brain start to change. It's kind of like when we go and we travel to new places and we come back with a new outlook on life. So when I'm able to introduce them to new environments when we're volunteering, they begin making new associations in these new environments. They start to talk to people they're not used to talking to. They start to hear perspectives from people they're not used to hearing. That could start to change their mindset as well. And then that leads to better communication. They're able to express themselves better once they are constantly around people who don't have a hard time expressing themselves. So that association, communication, and environment was on display, in my opinion, during our interview with Chuck. So Kiana, my student, went into the interview having reservations about the gay community and about how where she's from, gay people are treated a lot differently. Once we got her to volunteer, once we got her to participate in the podcast, I started to see that she started to change her her preconceptions during the interview. And I am super grateful for Chuck for, for being patient with Kiana and for seeing that she came into this interview with some preconceived notions and 
he was able to communicate it in such an effective way that it changed how she viewed the whole situation. So introducing her to a new association is probably in the future going to change the communication that she's going to have with other people that she comes along with. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We're looking forward to our episode next week where we will be sitting down with the volunteer manager from the awesome organization Muslims Serve. Have a good week, everyone. Peace. Mm -hmm.